let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, Julia, we've actually got some friends of yours on the pod today. Yeah, so the folks who started Dish City, Patrick Fort and Ruth Tam, are going to join us today. I worked with them back in 2019 and 2020 and did all sorts of things for them. I helped them book an episode on stuffed ham. I had to call places to see if they sold, like, put Old Bayard in their crabs, things like that. So very excited to have them on the pod today. And Dish City is a pretty, like, iconic, long-running D.C.-based podcast, right? Yeah, and their show is about city change through food. So DC's iconic foods make an appearance throughout. They've got four seasons, and they've covered everything from what restaurants went through during the pandemic to the, you know, moral obligations of consumers trying to figure out what to do if you want to get takeout and stuff like that. So we know that DC has so many iconic food staples. Half smokes, pupusas, mumbo sauce. But which is the most representative of the city? I sat down with Patrick and Ruth to hash it out. It's Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. I am so excited to talk to you two today. I just got finished listening to your brunch episode, and so I'm ready and raring to go and to talk about all of your food DC opinions. So much of the work that y'all do on the show is really about chronicling, you know, these foods that are unique to DC. Are there foods that you would think like, would be the most unique or the most special or the most like closely held for the most people in DC? The one that I think of for this is definitely mumbo sauce. I was trying to figure out what food stands out to me. And I think that it's mumbo sauce because I don't know if you remember this in 2018 when Muriel Bowser said that mumbo sauce was <laughs> annoying and it was this whole thing and everyone was so mad about it. And just a few weeks ago, I was walking down the street. It was right before the primary election. And I saw just this clandestine poster that had a picture of Mayor Bowser. And it said, mumbo Muriel, hating on the sauce, hating on families, hating on DC. All right, I dare to ask, is anybody else annoyed by mumbo sauce? Well, that's the question DC Mayor Muriel Bowser asked on Facebook last night. And oh, a lot of you responded. <laughs> Hundreds of people slammed the mayor for saying this unique sauce is not essential to DC culture. And I think that like, if people can take this kind of offhand comment about food, but like it's a campaign issue like four years later, I think that's a good indication that you've got a food that is pretty important to a lot of people. Absolutely. And as soon as she said that, I remember thinking, people in D.C. are not going to forget this. And there just happens to be that alliteration, Mumbo Muriel. I saw that a poster that called her Mumbo Muriel. I mean, it just goes to show people in D.C. have, one, pretty long memories, and two, very particular food opinions. 
I will say, personally speaking, Salvadoran food is something that I started eating like right when I first got to DC, but was something that I had never had prior to coming to DC. And it's something that you know, I just had last night, like it's something that I've consistently eaten throughout my time here. And like pupusas were my gateway into local DC food culture. The year that I moved to DC, I'm pretty sure it was the year it was announced that DC was like Bon Appetit's big food city, or it was one of the years, the early years of my time here. And so that was like happening on one track of my brain. And on the other track of my brain, I was just like, where are the pupusas? Like, I just want a pupusa. And that was like the neighborhood food that I would get. And it's the food that I crave. And so for me, Salvadoran food, Salvamex restaurants, that really says DC to me. Do you do your pupusas with the cabbage on top? Oh, yeah. I have to have the pupusas with the cortito, which is the cabbage slaw. It's just like the perfect mix of like, you have your like fatty, cheesy goodness from like inside the pupusa itself. You may have other fillings like meats or whatever yesterday i got mine with zucchini because i you know wanted to be healthier or whatever (laughs) (laughs) you're still eating it in like a cheesy fried pocket i don't really know what i was thinking but yeah the cortito is like this like sour crunchy sweet topping for it and it's just perfect with the pupusa Oh, you're making me hungry i'm curious you know as y'all have been researching food in the city for so long for the last four years what kind of trends have you noticed in making the show I think one thing that's interesting and that we maybe are sensitive to as the people who make the show is that so many of the narratives that we explore for different foods and different episodes repeat themselves. Like history repeats itself. One of the the prime examples of something that we covered in our show is what happened in 1968 with the uprising after Martin Luther King Jr. died and what turned into what many know as the riots on, you know, U Street, 14th Street in downtown D.C. We covered that in our Half Smokes episode, our first episode ever. And then in 2020, we were working on our second season and we were kind of covering how you know, people were responding to um, the pandemic and all of that. But then the George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter protests kind of just like engulfed D.C. And the same conversations that people were having regarding whether or not businesses should be supportive of, of protests that could turn violent or whether or not you could support Black Lives Matter and also support Black restaurants and Black neighborhoods, the choices that people were trying to set out, like, oh, it has to be one or the other and mutually exclusive. Like, that conversation was happening in 1968. It happened in 2020. And these are things that, like, repeat themselves. And that's something that was specific to these two episodes that we did, both in 2019 and 2020. But there are other themes that pop up, too. We talk a lot about gentrification and city change. We talk a lot about how immigrant groups move into certain neighborhoods and, you know, maybe are forced to maybe because they're not welcome in other neighborhoods and they're pushed out of certain places and they wind up in in parts of town that ultimately become very valuable both for other businesses and for the city itself. And so you see episodes that we've talked about um the Chinese immigrant population making a Chinatown along 8th Street in D.C., or the Vietnamese population in Clarendon or Northern Virginia. These are communities that built up those spaces into community centers and then were ultimately pushed out for other types of businesses, something that the city 
um, not just allowed, but encouraged and wanted to happen. So these are themes that just kind of continually occur. And so whether it's like the supposed forced choice between supporting black lives versus black businesses or, you know, immigrants, immigrant groups coming in and making a place lively and then being forced to move like these are things that just continually happen. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm wondering, how do you see the changing food culture? Like, do you see it mimicking the way that the city's demographics have changed? I don't know if I would call it different groups of people, but it's like different, like, lenses, really. I mean, like, I I think a lot of the top line, like, food that we're covering, whether we're doing, like, an episode about, like, Half Smokes or we do an episode about, like, Chinatown or something like that, that it's very kind of, like, foundational like understanding of a food and the, and then it's 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 pretty removed from like the buzzy like restaurant blog sort of thing it's not to say that there isn't a place for that and i guess i would say that like the the people who are interested in in like a socioeconomical like review of like half smokes are sometimes the people who are like interested in like the latest restaurant opening but not always That makes a lot of sense. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about the podcast. So I know that season one was about DC proper. Season two and three took us through the pandemic. And then season four, you were really talking about like the burbs, what's happening outside of the district proper. If someone was a new listener and they wanted to figure out where to get started, where would you recommend they start? Like, is there a Dish City starter pack that folks should really start their their journey with the show through? I have three. (laughs) The list keeps growing. From our most recent season, I really like the episode we did about crabs and all of the labor that goes into catching them and selling them and and eating them. From our third season, I like our episode about delivery food and the labor that goes into it, Um, realizing that there's a trend there as I say this. And then I also really like our episode about mumbo sauce from our first season. For me, the Chinatown episode was my attempt at answering a question that I've had in D.C. Like ever since I've been a resident for the last nine plus years, I, you know, remember feeling like, oh, this is my first time living in a city where I have close access to a Chinatown. And when I grew up in the suburbs outside of Chicago, Chinatown was, you know, a 45-minute drive away when I was in school around Boston. Chinatown felt a little further because I was kind of mostly on campus, even though I did go. And then my when I moved to D.C., I was like, oh, I am a district resident now. Like, D.C. has a Chinatown. It's right there. It's accessible to me. After repeat visits, I was like, okay, like, I don't think this is the Chinatown that I'm familiar with. And I was always kind of wondering, why are there all these Chinese signs that kind of make it seem like this place is more Chinese than it really is? And it kind of just sat with me in a weird way. And when I found places outside of the city, like when I started going to Eden Center, when I started going to Rockville, I was not really asking that question as much anymore because I had found my version of Chinatown. It just existed outside of D.C. But the question never really went away. So when we decided to launch this season, you know, I did want to have an episode about why you know, so much of the good Chinese food that you can find here is outside of the city. And you cannot answer that question without explaining like what happened to the people who used to live in DC's Chinatown, not just on 8th Street, but along Pennsylvania Ave. Um, the DC's original Chinese population lived there. And, you know, I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this episode. Like this spans like 100 years. And we decided to focus on what happened in D- DC as opposed to, you know, how 
what's going on in the suburbs right now. But yeah, that's kind of where it came from. And it was hard for me because, you know, this is a community that even though I'm not an immigrant and I didn't grow up in D.C., I still feel like, oh, I'm I'm still part of D.C.'s Chinese community, even if I don't live in Chinatown. And I felt a lot of weight, honestly, in terms of reporting on that community. I didn't know if I could do it well. I didn't know if I could do it enough of it in the time that we had. There were a lot of challenges, but I felt like it was really important. And people only really talk about the losses, but people don't talk about what was here before. They're just like, oh, there's no Chinese people here. And that's kind of where the conversation ends when people talk about Chinatown. And I wanted to go further than that. Yeah, I think... I guess I'd wonder, like, how often do you two find yourselves trying to answer some specific question about food or a style of food, and then you end up telling this, like, very thoughtful, nuanced, like, painting a portrait of communities or of a history or of, like, you know, you think you're, you think you're setting out to answer, like, a, just a, a small question and it ends up being so much more. Is that something that happens a lot when you're doing the show? I would like to think that we're trying to answer big questions. I feel like a lot of the topics that we choose to write about are I hope people think that they're significant or important and that like they aren't easy to answer in like a really like final or clean way I hope that we tell those stories in ways that people think are illustrative or or, like are informative to people I think though it, it does happen quite often you know we do research before the episodes. And so it's not as if so many of the conclusions are complete surprises to us, but there are genuinely episodes for which we didn't know how the story would pan out or we didn't realize it would go that way. Um, I think two examples from our last season are our Old Bay episode and our Vietnamese food episode. We definitely knew we wanted to do an episode on Old Bay just because people are obsessed with it. Like, it's obviously just it's just like too big to ignore. So we have to do an episode on Old Bay, of course. But we did not actually know the origins of Old Bay, nor did we know that most crab houses in the state of Maryland don't actually use Old Bay on their crabs. And so that was like a very like, whoa, this is Wait, something that we what? learned on the job. Well, if this is surprising to you. Do we have a podcast for you? <laughs> This is shocking information. Many local crab houses don't actually use Old Bay. You know, many of them use J.O. number two, which is a similar spice blend, but with coarser salts so that it adheres to crabs better when it steams. And Old Bay is like a finer spice blend. And so it can kind of melt off crabs if it doesn't have those like crystals of of salt. And this is something we didn't know when we started the episode. We just thought we were going to do an episode on old bay fandom because it's so intense but we had all this history and all this like kind of industry specific information that we did not realize until we did the reporting and so all this all this learning that's happening is happening in real time and similarly in the vietnamese food episode i just thought i was going to do an episode on the importance of eden center because it's something that means something personally to me it means something personally to a lot of people in northern virginia and elsewhere but we did not realize that the vietnamese community that grew eden center started in clarendon and we don't associate clarendon with vietnamese food we associate clarendon with brunch or just like retail like the metro like it's just it's this doesn't have a lot of like let's say international <laughs> flavor 
<laughs> and so to learn that the Vietnamese community of this region started there was something that I did not know. And we learned on the job. Wow, that is very surprising. I didn't know any of that. And I bet this this kind of work probably brings up all kinds of like surprise little histories and cultures that you would never know. Patrick, I'm curious if you have a food story that particularly surprised you. I mean, in, in journalism, surprise people, there's lots of stuff that aren't in the stories that you end up reading or listening to or whatever. And when we were reporting our Half Smokes episode, you know, years and years and years ago, we are at this like meat processing facility and a person was like, oh, and here are these rows and rows of cured hams. And we were like, what would you possibly use a cured ham for? And he's like, oh, it's this thing, Southern Maryland stuffed ham. Maybe you should make an episode about it. And, you know, it was funny. haha. And we like learned about this new thing and we ended up doing a whole episode about it at this person's recommendation. People mention things offhand all the time and they end up being very interesting. Um, and I learned about a whole new place and a whole new cuisine. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in D.C. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow! There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. So what is the future of Dish City? Like, what are you looking forward to exploring in season five? Well, there are always so many ideas that we want to make into episodes, but they don't work out for whatever reason. Maybe we run out of time to produce them with the resources that we have. So there are so many, there's like at least three to five ideas that Sounds we could right. probably make into episodes. But, you know, we, we're kind of waiting to see what, what the future of the show will be. I'm actually going on leave for about 10 months. And so, you know, we'll check in to see what the future of the show looks like. But we definitely have so many stories that we could continue telling. Well, Ruth and Patrick, thank you so much for being here. This episode was really enlightening. And I feel like it made me hungry, but also made me curious to find out more about eating through DC. Thanks for talking to us. It was really fun. Thanks for having us. And before you go, here's some quick news. Maryland Governor-elect Wes Moore has appointed a few key members of his leadership team. His chief of staff and secretary of appointments will be Fagan Harris and Tisha Edwards, respectively. Moore noted that he wants his administration to reflect the diversity of Maryland, where a majority of residents identify as people of color. Meanwhile, Ward 6 Council Member Charles Allen has introduced a bill to have the city pay to replace gas appliances in 30,000 low-income homes in D.C., he says electric stoves are better for the environment and also improve air quality. His bill would make the switch for families who may not be able to afford it on their own. Also, Virginia McLaren, who famously danced with the Obamas at age 106, died on Monday. She was 113 years old. She came to D.C. as part of the Great Migration and shared her experience through oral history videos. 
After her visit to the White House, she became a local celebrity respected for her decades of community service. Rest in peace, Virginia. And lastly, big news, we're doing our first ever giveaway, and it's holiday-themed. You can win two free tickets to the amazing Hyrick House Christmas Market by sharing your DC-focused New Year's resolutions. How do you want to see the city improve in 2023? Tell us by emailing us at dc at citycast.fm to be entered into the raffle. If you prefer, you can leave us a voicemail at 202-642-2654. The market features 50 small businesses, mostly from underrepresented communities, and it's a great place to get a jumpstart on that holiday shopping. And check out our show notes for more information on how you can get to go for free. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and tell all your friends, especially the foodie ones. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. Half smokes, papupas. Papoosas. Half smokes, papoose. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where my head is at today, y'all. Sorry, I'm st- I'm still recovering. <laughs>